exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. WDBM East Lansing. 89 FM. The Impact. And now. Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. In World News Today, former Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak is in intensive care after suffering a heart attack, says state media. According to the reports, he was taken ill while being questioned by prosecutors over allegations of corruption and the killing of hundreds of protesters. In national news, today marks the 150th anniversary of the Civil War, which left more than 600,000 soldiers dead. The first shots were fired at Fort Sumter in South Carolina. And in Michigan news, teenagers convicted of underage consensual sex will no longer face a lifetime of the state's sex offender registry under a new law signed by Governor Rick Snyder, according to the Michigan Public Radio Network. The law deals with so-called Romeo and Juliet cases, where teens within four years of each other have a romantic relationship. The age of consent in Michigan is 16 years old. The law will allow people on the registry for an underage sex conviction to be removed. People convicted of serious sex crimes will continue to be listed on the registry. Michigan risked losing federal victim compensation funds if it did not change its sex offender registry laws. And on Exposure tonight, it'll be a wonderful show. We will have in the studio Doug Maines and the City Folk. They will do a live in-studio performance. We will also talk about the MSU Drag Show. Um, we will also have an interview with Cindy Perman, a blogger for CNBC.com, and she will share quirky stories of the prospects of the job market as well as the economy. But in the studio now, we have Nicole Sclafani. No, I just totally misrouse your name. What is it? Sclafani. Sclafani. <laughs> as well as Dan Hartley, and they are here from the Capital City Film Festival, which will be going on this weekend. Also, later in the interview, we will also be giving away tickets to... Um, this weekend's show. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. So this is the first time that we have had a Capital City Film Festival. Mm-hmm. How did it begin and why did you guys just decide to start it? Well, it began um, last summer, actually, in the making, about in August or so. It started out with just a brief idea. Um, myself and co-founder Dominic Cochran had uh, talked about having this idea come about. And in order to make it happen, we had to, write the fi- had to find the right people. So um, we brought in for programming directors um, Heidi Gustad, who had worked with um, East Lansing Film Festival in the past, and Dan Hartley and Katie Wittenauer to kind of really try to figure out if we could actually make this happen and contact films and filmmakers uh, to reach out and have have enough content for the show, um, which we found we had plenty of that. And then also Jake Petchtel to bring in um, an our entertainment lineup and um, just a, a core of great individuals that really just wanted to see um, a film festival in Lansing in a place without a movie theater. So really we were just trying to turn in, um, turn different buildings in downtown Lansing into a movie theater for a night. So how would you compare the Capital City Film Festival to, let's say, the East Lansing Film Festival or other film festivals in the state, with like um, you know the mm-hmm. Traverse City Film Festival, for example? Well, that's a great model. I think the model we're going off of, and I think a lot of us, um, when we first started this, what we wanted to do was to take the South by Southwest model and really include film and music, probably just as important as, as film, actually, and really make it a, a festival feel um, instead of just focusing um, on film. But I think the lineup right now with uh, the diversity of film can really, I think that really has an impact and, and is different than a lot of film festivals around. Yeah, I mean, we we don't have a, a history behind our festival. We can kind of create it in any way that we want. So. We can program it in any way we want without having to worry about defying or fitting expectations. Mm-hmm. And so we've really taken that seriously. So so like our opening night film, Aardvark, is a really kind of edgy movie, and it's a really like gutsy choice for an opening night film, and I think it sets the tone for the whole festival, where it's like, this is like a film that you would not get a chance to see even in Ann Arbor, even in like a you know art house theater nearby, this is a really, this is a really independent film. But and it's also so, good quality. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, it's it's superbly produced. But, but yeah, that's we don't have a history that we have to follow. We can just make it any way we want. And what films or or bands are you most excited for to see at the Capital City 
Film Festival. I love our student showcase. I think that's probably one of our strong points. Um, there's a lot of feature films that we're really uh, looking forward to. Aardvark, the opening night film that Dan just mentioned, that's going to be that's going to be really great to see on the big screen. Um, mm -hmm. But also a lot of our student films, um, watching some and talking with the programming directors as well. It's a showcase. You you know definitely. Yeah, like, that, that, that shows that shows off the work. It, it's really just they're great films done by students instead of just student student films. Right. It's know. not it's not like class assignments. You don't have to worry about them feeling like like they're really student films. I mean, some of the student films that we have are the best films that we have in the entire festival, mm -hmm. and we don't want people to skip over it thinking that it's going to be just a bunch of students that were given cameras and you know a, and a class assignment. There's some incredible films in there. Absolutely stunning. I'm also really fired up for Respiration, which is actually the first time The Loft is doing this, I know. We're pairing up a short film with a concert. Respiration was actually, um, it was a hip-hop music showcase that used to happen at Max monthly. And so an MSU student actually made a documentary about this and about hip-hop in Lansing. And so it's a 20-minute documentary, um, and it's, it will be shown actually before we, I guess you could say, revive this respiration showcase mm -hmm. again with a lot of the key players that are, are being featured in the documentary and also with also some other local hip-hop artists so our hip-hop night's really cool too so mm -hmm. every night kind of has a theme especially with music like Thursdays our indie night got our hip-hop night our electronic night we're really trying to be just as diverse with the music as we are with the films and and trying to pair them properly properly and John Hughes is pretty cool too though we have this John Hughes retrospective um, so any John Hughes 80s fans um, remember 16 Candles and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Yeah. We're doing this kind of Bruin view, I guess we call it. Um, I'm from Detroit, and we've had a lot of a lot of those, actually, in a lot of the bars uh, that you play mo movies and just kind of hang out and talk mm -hmm. about them, laugh about it. And uh, we're going to actually be opening up the Temple Building in Old Town Lansing oh, nice. for that. So it's going to be pretty different and cool and a really cutting awesome. edge, I think. We'll see how we fit that screen in there. <laughs> yeah, it's like a huge screen. We got like a 30-foot screen. When was the mm -hmm. last time they opened up the Temple Building? Last time I was in it was for uh, Ignite Lansing. I remember that, if, if, you, if any of your listeners remember that. Um, it was just kind of like a speaker series. Um, they had about 500 people in there. And also for the Addy Awards. So now it's being open more and more for um, private events. And so um, the owners actually let us in to use it. So it's going to be really, it's going to be pretty hot. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And in, in of all the films that will be featured at the Capital City Film Festival, how many of them um, are from Michigan filmmakers? Um, mostly we have a Michigan showcase, like a Michigan filmmaker showcase, and that's seven films. And then afterward, we're going to have a panel with, I think, five of the seven films represented. Um, so a lot of the student films were from Michigan. There was a handful of MSU students like, uh, Pete Johnston and, uh, Curtis Matsky, Cameron LaVenture. Yeah. So mm -hmm. there was like, there was a bunch of student films from MSU, um, a lot from Michigan, a lot of, uh, student filmmakers that were from Michigan that produced their films elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we have a pretty good lineup of Michigan films as well as like films from Iran, <laughs> Spain, just all over the place. It's, it's pretty wide. Yeah, they categorize pretty well, so it's digestible, um, especially out on our website. Everybody can, can see what the lineup is, but, uh, we pair them together really well. I think Dan and Kitty did a really great job of pairing the movies together, whether they're a showcase or if you're going to see a feature, you'll probably see a short film, like a 15, 10, 15 minute short film paired with that. And I think it's just a good little appetizer. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the, the some of the short films we were showing before the features are, are just, so good. Mm -hmm. Chasing Cotards, which is our opening um, night short film that we're showing before Aardvark was shot on, on like a defunct camera standard that they basically had to dig this camera out of a museum to shoot it mm -hmm. on Vista, Vista Vision. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's like a, a beautiful film. So there's a lot of really, really cool films. The films in the venues. Those would make, make the festival. So how would you describe the Michigan film industry or, or Michigan film community in the state? I think it's, gr it's grown definitely within the past couple of years, especially with the tax incentives. Um, I work with a lot of people who have been very busy these past couple summers, especially with the Michigan tax incentives, and I think it's it's alive and well. And I think not only uh, behind the scenes and on big budget movies, but also because technology is so accessible to us, mm -hmm. and because everyone has a video camera on their phone or iPod or iPhone or flip camera or, or anywhere really, 
anyone can be a filmmaker now. And a lot of people have some great ideas, especially students. I think that's why we're getting such great student work. So I think the state of film in Michigan is really, especially with all the technology and accessibility we have, um, yeah. I'd say it's... There's a couple different well. spheres of it. There's a lot of the films that were shown at the Michigan Filmmaker Showcase are like independent films, so they'll slide right under the film incentives. And so that's going to be more yeah. or less unaffected by the film incentives staying or going. Um, but then the big budget films obviously were booned by the incentive, and, and if, if those go away, so will those films. Yeah. So it, I, that'll be sad for me to see go. It affects probably the, the people who, who, you know, who work behind the scenes for it, and a lot of the production yeah. and the crew, and, and both Dan and I were on a set actually this summer with Dom um, and his company, Optic, that worked mm -hmm. on a music video, and just to see the hundreds of people, um, it was a, a video, yeah. a music video, Miley Cyrus' music video <laughs> down at Meadowbrook, and just to see the hundreds of people, and yeah, such talented amazing. people that were there, and the only reason why she came here, because it's of tax the tax incentives, yeah. um, but it was really great to see it happen, and it's great to, for students and everyone really to have an experience on a big budget set, and then they can go do their own short film. Well, today we are going to give away a pair of tickets to answer this at the Washington Street Armory in Lansing, courtesy of Cap Capital City Film Festival. What can you guys tell us about this film that we'll be giving, um, tickets we'll be giving away? Answer This is like, it's a, it's a comedy about the intense world of bar trivia. <laughs> and it's about uh, a guy who is works out of a bar in Ann Arbor and is, is really competitive about bar trivia and like recruits a small team and, and finds a love interest and you know it's it's a really good movie um, and it's 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 a pretty different movie from our opening night film so yeah. it contrasts sharply shot but in, in a good way. Well. Yep, shot, shot all shot in Ann Arbor at U of M and sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry guys it's gonna be in there. Um, but yeah so that's that's kind of what it is. Well, to win that pair of tickets, you can call 517-432-3893 again. Today's winner will receive a pair of tickets to answer this at the Washington Street Armory in Lansing, courtesy of the Capital City Film Festival. The screening will take place on Saturday, April 17th at 5 p.m. More information can be found at www.capitalcityfilmfest.com. And the Impact would like to thank the Capital City Film Festival for their continued support and remind listeners that they may win only once a week. And again, that phone number to receive that pair of tickets is 517-432-3893. Well, Nicole and Dan, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks so much. Thank yes. you. And without further ado, um, the Artist Spotlight for this week features Rooney and will be aired right now on Impact Exposure. And now, an Impact Artist Spotlight. Sprouting up from under the California sun, bronzed and ready to woo girls across the country, the members of Rooney formed back in 1999 while attending high school in Los Angeles. The band's current lineup consists of Robert Schwartzman, Taylor Locke, Ned Brower, Louis Stevens, and Brandon Schwartzel. Robert Schwartzman comes from a dynasty of Hollywood talent. His older brother Jason Schwartzman was once a drummer in Phantom Planet, now playing as Coconut Record. His uncle Francis Ford Coppola directed the Godfather films, which his mother Talia Coppola also played a role in. His cousin Sofia Coppola is the director of The Virgin Suicides, Lost in Translation, and more recently, Somewhere, in which the band made a brief cameo. Shortly after the band formed, Schwartzman graduated from the Windward School in Los Angeles and went away to Eugene Lang College in New York City in the fall of 2001. Instead of doing homework, Schwartzman found himself writing music for his band back home in California. At the end of that semester, he returned home to pursue music full time. I wanna know 
2002, the band caught the attention of recording companies in Los Angeles area and signed with Geffen Records. Under the Geffen label, they put out their debut self-titled album in 2003. Following the release of this album, the band made an appearance in Fox's The O.C., where they gained significant recognition. Also under Geffen, they released Calling the World in 2007. You're out with your friends and it's feeling like old times Standing in line in the front of the club You're driving around town blasting your mixes Singing along to the words you don't know But it makes no difference what I do think or say Dissatisfied with where the relationship was going, Rooney split ways with Geffen Records and in 2010 released Eureka on their own label, California Dreamin' Records. I like what you wear and I like how you move. If I was staring, it's because I'm in the mood. We had been in the studio making a lot of EPs and we were always kind of aware or wanting to be more aware of recording and recording process and yeah. engineering and tones getting you know great sounds and stuff so I think it just took a second to finally have the courage to say let's just do it on our own yeah and then eventually we tried it and it felt right and the song sounded really good so it was like I think the one thing you worry about is like is it gonna sound good mm -hmm. I think anyone can make a record but we like good sounding records yeah and once we knew we could do that then it was more about having to produce ourselves like pick songs and you know, steer the ship through the recording process. This has been an Impact Artist Spotlight on 89FM. I know what you're after I know why you came here You got the devil in you Seeping out your pores you are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, M Emily Fox, and in the studio is Doug Maines and the City Folk. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks, you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> so can, um, can you guys go around and uh, introduce yourselves? I know we have a drummer way in the back, so just holler out if you can. Yeah, well, my name is Josh Michaels, and I play cello and accordion. I'm Rob Grimeroff. I'm playing drum set. And I'm Doug Maines, and I... Uh... I'm kind of a singer-songwriter package, I guess. So how did this band form? Um, it's been, this project has been about three years old. Um, Kelly, who's not here, who's violin and vocals, uh, we started off about three years ago, just her and I, um, at an open mic called Michigan Homegrown Music. Uh, it is no longer existing, but uh, that's where we met, and we kind of formed from there. And then we've had a few adjustments since then and now we are a five-piece band and we're also missing an upright bassist and uh we've kind of switched in and out some some players but uh, i think this is my favorite favorite group is, is right now and i should also take note that you guys are playing at scene metro space april 10th which is a saturday Right? Or is it yes, Friday? Yes, it's actually April 16th. April 16th. Yeah, that might have been my bad. Oh, no, I probably wrote it down. So April 16th. <laughs> yeah. This Saturday. This Saturday. 9 p.m. at Scene Metro Space. It's actually 7 p.m. 7 p.m.? <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, I got it all wrong now. Yeah, sorry about that. Doors at 7. Um, show starts at 8. Uh, we're playing with a really great group, a folk group from Grand Rapids area called the Meadowlarks. And then we're playing with a... Uh, a very talented guy. He he does a lot of different stuff with loops, uh, and he goes by the name of the Saw Had Eyes That See. Did I get that right? You got it. I got it. 
Very so, cool. Yeah, it should be a good show. Well, to get our listeners a feel for what they can expect at this show, which is April 16th, not mm-hmm. 10th. Mm-hmm. I think April 10th has passed already. Right. At C. Mitchell's <laughs> Face at 7 p.m. Doors open at 7 p.m. Yes. Performances start at 8 p.m. Yes. So, without further ado, would you guys be willing to play a song for us? For sure. Uh, this is actually our brand, a brand new one. So it's fresh out the oven, if you will. Um, but it's called Stone's Awakening.
weakening will rise. And in the studio is Doug Maines and the City Folk. They'll be performing at Scene Metro Space this Saturday. Doors open at 7 p.m. and the show starts at 8 p.m. So, that was a great performance. Thank Congratulations, you, thank all you. of you. Thanks. So, do you guys have a CD coming out or is one available? Uh, both, yeah. Uh, we have an EP uh, that is available online. Uh, it's a five song EP. Um, and then we also, in June, will be releasing a new album. Uh, it's our first actual full length. We've had a series of EPs come out, but this is our first full length. Um, so that comes out sometime mid-June. I haven't nailed out, down the date yet. Uh, but we will have a CD release show, and then uh, we'll actually be touring in July, which is pretty exciting. So That's exciting. Where are you going to yeah. tour? Um, as far west as St. Louis, as far south as Atlanta, and then up through the East Coast, and then dip down to Louisville, Kentucky, and back up. So, so will you be performing in the area at all this summer? Uh, we will be. Uh, we'll, like, we'll do the CD release show. Um, at, it will probably be at Scene Metro Space. It's kind of our home venue. Um, and then once we come back, we'll, we'll probably have a few here and there, but a lot of it is going to be out of town. Um, but we will be. I mean, there will be opportunities. And so. when you say you have an EP available online, where mm -hmm. online is it available? Uh, it is available at uh, dougmains.bandcamp.com. And you guys so. are an ind independent label. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're independent musicians. We're part of a collective called Great Lakes Collective. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a label, kind of a collective. Uh, pretty much it's just a community of artists uh, coming together, working together to uh, help benefit the group. So uh, we're very excited to be a part of that, and, and they're kind of helping us along. So. so how do you go about promoting your band as an independent mid-Michigan group? I mean, how do you get noticed in, in what I think is, is becoming a, a, a larger niche, this mid-Michigan music scene? Mm -hmm. So how do you go about promoting yourselves um, in this, you know, what seems like a growing non-label, more independent right. bands that are emerging? Right. I mean, honestly, for me, I think it's all about connections. I think especially in the, um, like, indie folk world, especially in Michigan, there's a phenomenal community. Um, and I think... Like, if I can make a bl blanket statement, it's a good blanket statement, but folk musicians are generally just uh, solid people. <laughs> and so uh, so really, I think a lot of it is just uh, through having friends um, and making friends. Uh, just There are a ton of phenomenal musicians in Michigan, um, and we're very honored to, to know a couple, I mean, a good handful of them. Um, other than that, like... Online promotions, everyone's, everyone tells me it's like they're big, but uh, I try to keep up with that. I'm not <laughs> very computer savvy, if you will, but so, yeah. So you say there's been a lot of transitions with your band, mm -hmm. um, you know, reformations or whatnot. Right. So is is that hard to try to, to keep one band stable and, and, you know, with people having different schedules, how do you, how often are you guys able to create new music or get together mm -hmm. and perform? Yeah. Um, we perform more than we practice, <laughs> um, and uh, in, in some ways that's good, in some ways that, that makes it tough, um, especially since we've become five-piece, it's very difficult to all get together, um, and we're very across the board as, as far as where we are at in life. We have three students, um, me, who I'm just working and doing music, and then uh, Kelly is teaching in Detroit area, and so it, it does make it hard for us to get together. Um, like this one, we've we've only rehearsed that last song once, and we've only rehearsed the three of us. Um, so, so, like if if Kim is listening, this is might be the first time she's heard it finished. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's definitely a challenge, but uh, we're all pretty laid back people, and so like Josh over here learned a lot on stage. We pretty much just threw him up there. Um, yeah, that's pretty much how it is. <laughs> They'd call a song and I'd be like, Doug, I don't know this one. So I just learn it. <laughs> yeah. Hooray for improvisation. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Now, are you, what's your musical background? Um, I um, studied classical cello through high school. 
um, took lessons in Appleton, um, but I'm currently studying film at Michigan State, so I'm not professionally studying it, but still continuing it. All right. Well, without further ado, would you guys be willing to play another song for us? For sure. Uh, this song, we chose it because it's in the same tuning as the last song. <laughs> it's uh, called Comfort. And this is Doug Maines and the City Folk. Who calls you brothers? My own flesh I don't recognize. And we all want to see him. But how much can you sacrifice? Cause you live in stone cold homes only guarding your comfort. was a guest, a host, and now a master and a tamer of your dreams. But what of that day when your comfort escapes you and your bones sprout wings and fly away? Doug Maines and the City Folk. They will be performing this Saturday at Scene Metro Space. Doors open at 7 p.m. and the show starts at 8 p.m. Thank you so much for joining us Yeah, tonight. thank you so much for having us. And where can people go for more information? Uh, right now, ReverbNation.com slash Doug Maines is, is the best part. Or Facebook. Okay. Facebook is the world right now. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining yeah. us tonight. Thank you very much. You're listening to Impact Exposure.
first floor. Hey, what floor are you going to? <clears throat> oh, uh, three. Thanks. <coughs> hey, didn't we, uh, have... Yeah, that one class. Yeah, that's so funny to, <laughs> to see you. I, I thought maybe we could, uh... Would you ever want to, um... <coughs> I was wondering if you... If I could stick my finger in your eye. What? No. Oh, I just flushed some toilets and touched a doorknob. What? I've been keeping this moist Kleenex Ew, in my pocket. That's uh, so gross. I thought we could, you know, just stick my finger Ugh. in your eye. Is that weird? No, don't touch me. What's wrong with you? Oh, sorry. Well, ever since you got in the elevator, you've been coughing all over your hands and pressing those buttons, so I just thought you were into that kind of thing. Free. Studies show that three quarters of women and only half of men actually wash their hands in the bathroom. That's nasty. Stop the flu and other germs by regularly washing with soap and avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. More at cdc.gov slash clean hands. Impact 89 FM. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Prime where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. From 10 p.m. until midnight Sunday nights, listen to the Impact Afterglow, where you can hear a variety of relaxed tracks to help you ease into the start of a new week. Only on Impact Primetime. Now back to Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. And in the studio, we have representatives to talk about the MSU Drag Show. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hi. Howdy. So can you go around and introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Ross Cranach. And who are you with? I am the president of Ring, respecting individuals on neutral grounds. OK. I'm Karma Vatan. I'm hosting the pre-show, and I'm in the show. Peach Shibalia. I'm also hosting the pre-show, and I'm in the big show at night. Very exciting. So, MSU Drag Show. How this is? How many years have we been doing this here at MSU now? It has to be more than a decade. Wow. Yeah. In in from my, I remember walking around on campus randomly on a whatever Saturday night that was freshman year, and I remember walking past the International Center, and there's a huge line, and I was like, "What is going on?" They're like, mm. "It's the drag show." So many people come out to see this, correct? Yes. How would you describe the t the people that come out? Do you think it's their first time ever coming to a show like that? Uh, people, I say it's a mix of new people, but then there are also people who go there because they know who's performing, they know what to expect, and they know it's gonna be a fun time. So, and this week is Pride Week at MSU. Right. So, what other events are going on besides the MSU drag show? Saturday night, there's an event called the Rainbow Rave, and that's uh, basically gonna be a dance held in South Complex. And that's put on by Prism, and then each day of the week there are also um, other events going on. Um, you can search for Pride Week on Facebook, and you can get like a list of events there. Now, Karma and Peaches, I'm curious, what can people expect at an MSU drag show, and what what is a drag show? What what does that entail? A drag show is just fun. It's um, drag queens, drag kings, circuit performers, any kind of entertainer, just putting on a show, lip syncing to popular songs. It's gonna be a good time. Big hair, gorgeous costumes, high heel shoes. It's in, gonna be a, gonna be a blast. And how did you guys get involved? Um, I got involved through Karma. I contacted Ross, and Ross contacted me. So it was kind of like a domino effect. It's my first year partaking in it, and I'm very excited for it. Very excited. And how did you get involved? Through Ross. Actually, Ross? I got in touch with okay. another. Ross is just running things. Ross is really spearheading this whole movement for the show. It's going to be so much fun. And how many shows have you done before? MSU shows. Or just shows in general? Oh, girl. Three <laughs> or four a week for the past, wow. I don't know, how many years. Probably for the past two years, I've been really booked solid. And where do you do shows at? Everywhere. Spiral, Battle Creek at Partners, Detroit, I don't know where else, Toledo, everywhere. Grand Rapids, Rumors. So where do you think has, I mean, obviously you probably see it in places like California, but how would you describe Michigan's drag culture? I think Michigan's drag culture is very diverse. Like, there's a lot of places where you go and you see the same queen, just a different look. But honestly, in Lansing alone, we have such a diverse group of people. So many different, so many different cultures, not even cultures, so many different looks. So many different people representing who they, who they want to. I think the beautiful thing that we have here in Lansing is that all of us queens know each other. There's like a unity yeah. here and very much a sisterhood. So there's not one queen in Lansing who doesn't know another queen. 
some. And are all the performers that are going to be at the show uh, this this weekend, are they all from the Lansing area? No, actually Ross has, you know, spread his wings into the into different yeah. cities and in states, um, actually. Right now there's about, I think there are three or four performers from Lansing, four from Detroit, and we have one performer coming in from Toledo, so a little bit all over. So what are some misconceptions about drag queens? That we all want to be women. We all don't want to be women. Like me, I'm a drag queen. Peaches is, Peaches likes to do it for fun, too. And, but why, why did you decide to, do, to become drag queens? Um, I kind of just kind of got through into it. You know, I was living in a house full of drag queens, probably like eight of us. And I was just kind of like, you know, the girl who just dressed up on the side. And, you know, my friend Ace put me in a show and I just kind of stuck with it, won a few pageants and it's kind of addicting. And I must say that I love it. I breathe it. <laughs> it's a good time. Yeah. I remember doing drag. I started drag when I was like 19 and like ever since then, it's really hard to stop. And what, are are all drag queens gay or transgender? No, I wouldn't say that at all. There used to be an entertainer here from Lansing who was actually a straight male who performed. Really? So, I mean, just because you see a dress and heels doesn't mean that you're transgender or gay or want to be something else. It just means that you have, you're on another level and you can really express who you are. You're that comfortable with yourself. This uh, artistic expression, that's how I see it. Exactly. And what are you guys most excited about for this MSU drag show that's going on this weekend? For me, I think just seeing the crowd, get excited for it. Definitely. And the theme is Candyland, which is even better because obviously I love candy. I think I'm excited for the reaction. I mean, I think that not every day a MSU college student sees a drag queen. Mm -hmm. So I think it's something that's kind of foreign to a college student to see a drag queen. So I'm excited for the reaction and I'm excited to have a good time. All right, well, um, in the studio we have Ross as well as Car uh, Karma and Peaches, and they are here to talk about the MSU Drag Show, which will happen this Saturday at 8 p.m. at the International Center. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us tonight. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're listening to Impact Exposure. At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Prime where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on the Impact. Only on Impact you are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox, and on the phone is Cindy Perman. She is a blogger for CNBC.com, and she's on the line to talk about jobs and the economy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So your blog often covers weird and quirky jobs, especially jobs that seem too good to be true. So what are some of the latest <laughs> jobs that you've discovered? You know, well, one of my favorite ones is, you know, you've probably heard the story about um, Aflac, uh, they they fired uh, Gilbert Gottfried, the guy who was the voice of Aflac. Uh, he was a comedian. Um, and so they're actually hiring a new person for that voice now. And here's my favorite part of this, right? So first of all, there's no prior experience required, right? So any of us, as long as we have a good, you know, we can say Aflac very well, we can, we can apply for it. Um, but it's going to be a six-figure job. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's, it's amazing. I've been really stunned to think, you know, we tend to think of six-figure jobs as doctors, lawyers, um, but really you can find it in some crazy places. <laughs> and, you know, one of the other ones that I thought was really fun that I came across lately, I interviewed a woman who is a, an ice cream developer for Ben and Jerry's. 
And uh, so basically, it is what you think it is. She gets to eat ice cream all day long while she's working on new flavors. So That's really nice. And I also understand that not only um, – because I, I saw a picture of her online that said, full disclosure, she looks the way she does because they also have a gym on site <laughs> where yeah, she well, works. You know, that's your first question, right, is that how is she not, you know, completely uh, overweight? And they recognize that there is – that is a hazard of the trade. So they make sure that they not only provide a free gym on site – but that they also um, offer you free gyms uh, off-site as well. So, uh, yeah, so she does not look like she eats ice cream all day for sure. Very nice. Well, I also noticed on your website there's some um, other interesting jobs, like people that get paid to um, test honeymoons. So they're honeymoon testers or being a <laughs> tourism ad- ambassador. So you get to you know travel or live somewhere um, and just kind of blog about it. So how do you think people are able to find these types of jobs? Well, you know, this is really interesting. This started in the middle of the recession. If you remember, um, there was a Queensland, Australia, uh, put out a contest for the best job in the world for someone to come and be an island caretaker. Um, and it was a six-month gig. And it was a really, it was a brilliant move in the middle of the recession, right? Because it gave all of us something to be hopeful about. Um, and it gave them free publicity. Um, and, and it was really, it was, it was very fascinating. There was a lot of other uh, places that then wound up uh, copying that. There was, like, for example, a winery in Napa that then was looking for a wine blogger. And, I mean, how fun would that be to, you know, drink wine and tweet all day? Um, and so there's just been a whole bunch of these. And the Honeymoon Tester is one of the latest ones. And that sounds like a hilarious job. Um, but there, is, there was a contest, and there actually is a couple um, where they just go around the world testing honeymoon destinations. Um, and so you'll find these. You know, of course, you'll, you'll read news stories about them. But if you even, like, search online for, like, best job in the world or something like that, you know, or contest, you'll turn up a lot of these contests for cool jobs. And what I think is one of the coolest parts is uh, is that they're also um, jobs that people have turned into full-time jobs. You know, that island caretaker in Queensland we were talking about, he got that job a couple years ago. He did so well at it, he actually is still employed by them writing and blogging and traveling and giving people tours and everything. Of course, he does occasionally, you know, have to sweep up, but, uh, you know, taking care of the island. And, uh, and the, the wine blogger I was telling you about, that guy parlayed that into a full-time job working for a winery. And so these are really interesting things that can be either a fun chance of a lifetime, but they can also turn into, you know, new careers. So it's very interesting. Sounds like a nice gig. Well, in your blog, <laughs> you also um, wrote about the new trend to outsource jobs to Detroit. Talk about that a little yeah. bit. I have to tell you, you know, this was one of my favorite stories because as you are well aware in Michigan, you know, Detroit and, and actually the entire state has really taken a beating in the last couple of years. Um, and, uh, and so not only, you know, are we starting to see an improvement in the auto industry, um, but, but one executive is making a push uh, and his, his sort of uh, tagline, and, and he's moving his own employees, you know, to Detroit. And his, the reason why he's saying it is this, is he's saying there is a big, willing, and able workforce and a skilled workforce, right? And real estate prices, which it's a bad thing that real estate prices are inexpensive, but for companies it's a very attractive thing to lure them there. So between having inexpensive real estate prices and then also having a ready, willing, and able and skilled labor force, he says he would like to see Detroit become the next Silicon Valley and the next you know, tech hub. And so there have been several companies that actually have recently relocated uh, employees to Detroit, Quicken Loans, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. And this guy who's making the push actually is from a company called Galaxy, which is an IT services provider. And his tagline is simply, you know, for a little bit more money than you could outsource to a developing nation, you could relocate to Detroit and the benefits make it worthwhile. So it's a very interesting campaign to see someone actually pulling for some of the home teams. Wow. And in a I'm sure you know, but, you know, with the new census that came out, we found that Detroit's population has decreased by a quarter during the past decade. Um, But then you said that you've also found that there's been a hike in tech jobs within the city. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, it's really this push, um, you know, and I think that's what happens. I mean, it's like how any neighborhood, you know, like a hot neighborhood that people move to or something like that. It just takes a couple of people to start to, you know, a couple of early early adopters, if you will, some people who sort of see the diamond in the rough or see the, see the potential, and then other people go, oh, yeah, maybe I should do that, too. Um, so, yes, we've definitely seen, you know, several thousand jobs added, you know, in the tech sector there uh, recently. And, in fact, um, more tech jobs have been added there than have been in Silicon Valley recently in terms of the job growth. So, it, so it's very encouraging, um, you know, to see what people are doing. And, and it would be really interesting if it did turn into a, you know, to a tech hub. 
Wow. And what do you think that means for Detroit and jobs in Michigan? Well, I think I think we're finally starting to see you know, a rebound from the bottom. I think that was the problem was that everyone just felt like, where is the end, you know, with this? And that's why some people felt like, you know, they had no other choice but to, you know, to look to other cities, you know. But I think between the fact that we're seeing, I mean, the automakers, you know, GM and Ford both reported double-digit increases in sales, um, you know, and especially with this push. You know, it's funny, gas prices have been, uh, a bad thing across the country, right? They've, they've you know, crimped all of our budgets. Um, but in a sense, they've been very good for the auto industry and certainly for Detroit because it means that more of us want to buy fuel-efficient vehicles. And the automakers are churning out. I just discovered, actually, I was working with Kelly Blue Book, and they found 30 cars right now on the market that get over 30 miles per gallon on average. And a couple of years ago, you couldn't have had a list of 30 cars. It just didn't exist. They got that good a gas mileage. So I think the fact that we saw gas prices surge a couple of years ago and that scared us, now that we're seeing it happen again, that's really helping the auto industry you know, kind of get a renaissance and get people wanting to buy again. Um, and so between that and things like this guy making a push for high-tech jobs there, I think the outlook for Detroit, I mean, certainly it's, it, things are still tough there right now, but I think we're really seeing signs of hope for Detroit. So on the topic of jobs, um, you're also on your blog talk about the hardest job interview questions. And, and I'm curious <laughs> what the interviewees are looking for um, when they ask some of these questions that you write about. You know, well, it's it's very funny. Uh, this was a list that uh, that I actually got from uh, from Glassdoor, um, and uh, and you know, some of the questions, and it's funny because for those of us who don't have technical jobs, some of these questions think, you think, oh my goodness, I would completely uh, I would completely fold if they asked me this question. Um, but the, it's very funny, you know. In, in some cases, like they'll ask you a question like, why are manhole covers round? Um, and uh, and in fact, that's a favorite question that they ask at Microsoft. And uh, and the truth of the matter is, and this is actually there's there's an advertising executive at Microsoft who said, you know, he's asked this and he says, you know, what the truth is, we don't know the answer. We don't necessarily some of the answers, the questions, hard questions, do have right answers. But in general, they're not necessarily looking for the answer. They're just looking to see how you handle it. How do you handle a tough situation? Because the truth is, if I'm going to hire you, um, you may be put in tough situations. I mean, look at the last couple of years. So we need to know how you, how you behave uh, under pressure. So, uh, so for the record, uh, you know, probably one of the best answers of why uh, manhole covers are round is so they don't fall in the hole. You know, because if they were square, there would be a way that they'd be able to fall in. But, you know, other people say practical things like, well, they're heavy, so if they were round, you could roll them, you know, or, you know, you might even make a joke and say, well, you know, the hole is round, so of course the cover's got to be round. Uh, Mm -hmm. So what people suggest is, you know, if you get hit with a complete curveball, a crazy question that feels like, you know, oh my gosh, I don't know the answer, take a deep breath and just start to walk through the process. So they kind of want to see how your mind works, too. So even if you never get to an answer, if you just start to make eliminations and make deductions, they'll go, wow, you know, she's really smart. You know, she has some really good ideas, even though, you know, she never got to the, to the, the answer. You know, I really like the way she thinks and works through things. Well, on the phone is Cindy Perman. She's a blogger for CNBC.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Hey, I'm Daniel Sherwood, and I'm reading a poem for the Michigan Storytelling segment. This poem's called Larry the Lemming. I once knew this lemming, this lemming named Larry. He was a cute little guy, tiny, brown, and really hairy. Larry the Lemming lived in a town called East Lansing, a town where every single lemming loved dancing. Now, lemming society is something quite complex. Their little lemming brains don't have too much room to flex. With a strict regimen dictating the ins and the outs, to go outside of the rules, you'd get quite a clout. Larry the Lemming had a normal mom and dad. Their names were Laura and Leroy, the best parents ever had. Larry also had a little brother, by five years, named Lenny. He grew to like language arts and collecting pennies. Larry's family, the Lee's Katowskis, got along great. While Lenny and Larry played at their playdates, Laura and Leroy went to work with lunch at eleven and would usually pull up to their garage by about seven. Every single afternoon seemed to follow that schedule. They'd all sit down at the table and have a good family meal. They'd keep their elbows off the table and always say please, and they'd go to bed. Just a normal day for the Lee's Katowskis. Leroy and Laura would listen to Lansing Radio in the morning. As LNN would update the community with the next weather warning, Laura would check Lenny's homework, 
and Leroy Larry's, they'd have a balanced breakfast, fruits, vegetables, and dairies. The kids got old enough to enroll in the local Lemming private school, with the latest and greatest fashion trends always looking cool. Leroy and Larry kissed the kids' foreheads and gave them lunch boxes, as the other parents did the same in their cars that looked like boxes. All the Liskatowskis grew up like any normal Lemming does, and Larry hit his teens and started putting up quite a fuss. He started thinking differently. His friends all called him strange, but Larry was bored with the same every day. He wanted change. Larry, unlike his friends, couldn't associate with Barack Obama, and was literally fed up with all of the lentils, lamb, and lasagna. He really didn't want to go to his weekly Lansing lessons, and he was sick of the Lutheran communal confessions. That morning, Larry brought up what he'd been thinking, and needless to say, Leroy spat up the latte he'd been drinking. Laura dropped her lackberry right there in her leek soup, and Lenny stopped wheeling about in his little tyke's crazy coop. Everything was quiet round the Lieskatowski's table. Laura asked her son to explain himself, if he was able. But Leroy shouted, No, I just don't want to hear it. For whatever was in Larry's teenaged head, Leroy feared it. So Leroy left the kitchen that day, coffee mug in tow, red at the neck, flustered and with his patience low, leaving the confusion behind him in quite the hurry, as he slammed the door to his Lexus with the utmost fury. To put his nerves at ease, he put on Lesha, spelled with a dollar sign. I mean, what better music is there to clear one's mind? Leroy was so soothed, he couldn't remember where to go. So he got out his new GPS, because of course that would know. It told him to take a left at Lancaster Lane, right up ahead. Leroy did abide and continued to listen to what it said. He got to work eventually. It did seem to take kind of long, but he knew that couldn't be. GPSs are never wrong. When he got there, his good friends enjoyed some small talk. While at different widths of their pinstripes they balked, they planned their next golf outing for the weekend, and maybe a night at the bar, if time would lend. And meanwhile, Laura was happy to be at her work, too. Her friends were all asking what they should do. Maybe go to the spa, should they paint their nails? Or where they could get the best clothing sales? Everything was good in Lansing, just how it should be, with the lemmings thinking and acting oh so similarly. Larry suppressed his rebellious thoughts and carried on, went to school, came back, and did it again as his life tarried on. He eventually graduated high school with his classmates, some going to places far off and others staying in state. But Larry was excited. He was bound for a thrilling place, a place where minds are encouraged to show their true face. The esteemed city of Ann Arbor was where he had enrolled, the place of learned beasts and independent thoughts, he was told. So he packed his bags and couldn't wait to see what was waiting. And, of course, to validate the shockingly high associated press ratings. The first week for Larry was not really what he had expected. Had the students defected? Their brains too tired or infected? Why did they seem to not pursue knowledge or wisdom? To him, it just seemed like a bunch of kids being dumb. He made sure to keep an open mind as the weeks rolled on, and while the other students thought the professors lolled on, he soaked it up like a dried-out sponge, yearning to learn, because there was more than just a high GPA for Larry to earn. Larry grew tired of idle conversations with people in his hall, listening to generic answers to generic questions while he didn't care at all. Larry wondered what it was that he was doing so wrong, why he couldn't just bounce up and down to the new hit song. Regardless of why, Larry didn't care anymore if he fit in. Thinking a little different from everyone else is no sin, so he decided to just be who he truly was, whenever he felt. In his past self, he absolutely refused to dwelt. So Larry would make it a point to speak his mind, even when it didn't earn him popularity all of the time. He would act how he truly wanted to, not giving a care. His behavior, both in thought and action, was quite rare. But as the days waned on, Larry started feeling lonely. No one wanted to be associated with him, as if he was homely. Making and keeping friends presented a bit of a challenge. I mean, geez, he wasn't a leper missing a phalange. So Larry stopped caring and just conformed to everyone else.
And for the Michigan Storytelling segment, that was Daniel Sherwood reading his poem, Larry the Lemming. Thank you so much for listening tonight. And if you want to keep up with the lineup every week for Impact Exposure, you can follow Impact Exposure on Twitter as well as on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact.